Hi, everybody. This is Pastor Tim from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire. This is our weekly podcast of the sermon from the prior Sunday. Normally at this time, I have invited everybody to join us for worship at 8, 30, and 11. Uh, but right now we're in the midst of the global pandemic, and so we are not having worship in our building at 8, 30, and 11. Instead, you can find us online doing virtual worship using Zoom. You can find the information for all of that on our website at www.htelc.com. You can also like us on Facebook. And uh, those are the two primary ways in which to find our links to have worship with us. So it doesn't matter where you are, as long as you have an internet connection, you can join us for worship. So thank you for listening. We hope that you find the sermon meaningful and purposeful, that it connects to your life and how you interact with the world. And most of all, it reveals God's infinite love for you and all of creation. The gospel reading today, we said the Smalls family, the small family was doing it also. Here we get to hear the gospel reading from Kira. Thank you. The gospel reading according to Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of my kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was Messiah. Thank you, Kira. The gospel of the Lord, the word of God for the people of God. So this sermon, there's a lot going on in that passage. I'm going to focus on... Uh, Son of Man and Son of the Living God. Uh, And what does that say about Jesus? And what does that say about other people? So, here we go. Hey, good morning, everybody from Holy Trinity and whoever else might be joining us or watching us, uh, listening to us, no matter where you are or what day it might be. This morning for our sermon, we need to begin almost with last week. You remember last week, Jesus helped a Canaanite woman and said, great is your faith, after initially turning down her request for help. We talked about how that really might have angered or should have angered, or the good Jewish people today might have really been offended by it, because first Jesus says, nope, I'm not going to help you. I'm for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and the Canaanites were their enemies. And it goes back to the days of Moses, when the Canaanite people occupied the land in which the Israelites believed was given to them by God. And so here you have this Canaanite woman, one of the enemies, requesting help from Jesus. And he first says no, and you could hear uh, the Israelites or the good Jewish people of the day cheering him on, saying, thank you, yes, she's not one of us. And then Jesus changes his tune. And after being convinced by the woman and grows and sees, well, maybe my mission is bigger than what I first thought it was as he's beginning a deeper understanding of who he is and how he is the son of God. And so now we continue that out. Jesus today is not going to offend the good Jewish people of the day. Uh, Jesus is going to offend the Roman people of the day. And I think if we really hear 
the words of Jesus, we're also going to be offended as well. Because I have to continually remind us and remind myself of this. If Jesus doesn't make you angry at some point because your core identity is challenged by him, then you're not really listening. There should always come a point throughout your life of faith, several times in which you think to yourself, no way. That's not the way it should be. This is the way it should be. And I like this other way better. So Jesus, either I'm going to twist or tweak what I think Jesus is saying to fit mine, or I'm going to reject it altogether to keep my own. And so we should continually be uh, challenged by Jesus to confront who do we think Jesus is and what does that mean for us? And really, where does our true allegiance lie? Because that's what this gets to this morning. It all hinges around a question uh, that comes up. Jesus first asks all the disciples, and then Peter, and after all the disciples answer, he asks them all another question, but this time just Peter kind of answers for the group. And the question from Jesus is, who do you say that I am? <coughs> and Peter gives a two-part response, or he answers it uh, two names. He calls Jesus the Messiah, right? The anointed one. Or he also says, son of the living God. That should be an F. The living God. Now, there's two ways in which we could look at both of these names that Jesus is given, or it is confessed to be who Jesus is. One, it's a direct statement solely about Jesus. Two, it's not so much about who Jesus is, but it's about who others or not. So you're saying who someone else is or isn't. Someone else is or isn't. And here's an example by what I mean by that. Uh, you know, I grew up in Chicago. I'm a big Chicago Bulls fan. I'm a bigger Cubs fan, so just, just get that out of the way now. But ESPN, right, just had a Last Dance documentary. I think it was uh, six parts talking about the last season of the Chicago Bulls dynasty in the 90s. And it really focused on who Michael Jordan is. And it comes up as he the greatest of all time. And so that's a question that people argue, and there could be a lot of different answers. Who's the GOAT, who's the greatest of all time, G-O-A-T, in basketball? You could have it in any sport, right? Uh, but in basketball, the common answers are Michael Jordan, uh, maybe Wilt Chamberlain, currently LeBron James, um, Oscar Robertson. You could have any number of answers. But when you say, and I don't know if I want to use the word confess, but that's what we're using in a passage. When you confess, Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time, you're saying something directly about Jesus, about Michael Jordan, but you're also saying something about all those other players, aren't you? If Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time, what are you saying about other people? What you're saying is LeBron James isn't. You're saying Will Chamberlain isn't. You're saying Kareem Abdul-Jabbar isn't. You're saying uh, Oscar Robertson isn't, right? So this question that is asked by Jesus of the disciples, the answer uh, could mean a couple different things. It's confessing who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And this is why it's going to anger the Roman people of the day, and we'll get to how it occurs and angers us is because we are also saying Caesar is not the Messiah. 
the anointed one, the one who brings peace and renewal and restoration, that Caesar is not son of the living God. Because this phrase, son of God, wasn't unique to Jesus. It was used before. We're going to go back in a little bit of Roman history. I taught fifth grade. We did ancient civilization. So we did Egypt. We did Greece. We did Rome. Uh, it was a lot of fun. But this phrase, son of God, started with Julius Caesar. Caesar. Am I getting that right? Yes, Julius Caesar, right? You've heard that name before, I'm assuming. Julius Caesar, 42 BC is when they think it came about. And Julius started to be known as the divine Julius, right? The divine Julius. If you really want to see the Latin with it, the divus, let me make sure I get this next one right, Lulius, the divine Julius. Julius Caesar had a son, Octavian, or better known as Augustus, Caesar Augustus. Uh, and that was around 27 BC. Now, if Caesar is divine Caesar, Octavian is the son of Julius. What do we start calling Octavian? The son of the divine Julius or the son of God, right? And Octavian has a son who takes over and that is Tiberius. And Tiberius then becomes son of the divine Augustus or son of God. So when we confess Jesus, when Peter confesses Jesus, when we confess Jesus to be the Messiah, the son of the living God, that means you are saying these people aren't. Have you ever been in a conversation maybe about who's the greatest of all time in basketball? Um, maybe who's the greatest, uh, who knows what it might be in sports, the greatest baseball organization, is it the Boston Red Sox, is it the hated Yankees, right? But you can see, we all know how heated these conversations can get over things that really don't matter. When you say who's the greatest or who is, <coughs> whatever it might be. So the Roman people of the day, Caesar, at this time it'd be Tiberius, Caesar is the one who orders our life. Caesar is the one in which is God's representative here on earth. Caesar is the one who determines what our worldview is. And we all have a worldview, how everything should work. Who matters? Who doesn't matter? What the best system should be in place to get certain results? At that time, Caesar, head of the Roman Empire, ruler of, for them, the known rule at the time, is the one who sets and dictates their worldview. And so when you confess, when Peter confesses, son of the living God is Jesus, he is saying... It is not Tiberius. Can you see how offensive that would be to those people who believe, follow, are allegiant to Tiberius? 
Can you see why Christianity was illegal for the first 300 or so years? It wasn't until, um, oh, now I'm really going to fail on my Roman and Christian history, sorry, uh, Mark Edwards, whoever the emperor was in the 300s that became baptized, and then all of Rome became baptized as well. But until that point, Christianity was illegal because what you are confessing, Caesar is not the one who is in charge ultimately. Jesus is the one who is in charge ultimately. Which means we need to ask ourselves that same question. Who do we ultimately and I'm going to specifically use these words, pledge our allegiance to. Who do we believe dictates our worldview that says this is the way things should function? We have a lot of things that compete for our attention, don't we? That say this is how things should work. I got the whiteboard diagrams always help me. This is something that I developed. This is not a octopus or a short-legged jellyfish. In this circle up here, oval, we can put in who, what is our main responsibility? What is it that determines how we behave in all our other roles? What is most important to us? There's a whole lot of things we could put in there, right? We could say our parent, as a parent, that role dictates the job I have. That role dictates uh, um, my free time. That role dictates how I spend my money, right? Maybe it's not a parent that is your primary uh, identity. Uh, it could be your primary identity is being an American. It could be you're a conservative. It could be you are a progressive. But whatever we put in the top will determine everything else that we do up here, knowingly or unknowingly. And as followers of Jesus, only one thing can go up here. Child, I'm going to erase it. Child of God, anything else, that's idolatry. It's putting us something else above God. I've had conversations over the past week in which we're talking about what is going on in the world. And I know I've been guilty of it at times, but these are the ones that just come to my mind as I'm speaking, is throughout it we'll be discussing maybe a certain policy and whether it's good or whether it's bad and, and whatnot. And the other person speaking to me says, well, I am a blank, therefore I believe, fill in the blank. Therefore, I, let me start again, I am a what? Therefore I believe what? As Christians, everything should be, I am a follower of Jesus. Right? Child of God, follower of Jesus. Therefore, I believe Love of God is shown through love of neighbor. All of these other roles that we listed before, parents, employee, nationality, uh, race, whatever it might be, this is our guiding principle 
on how we do all those things. When we follow Jesus, we no longer are able to say, I am anything else other than child of God. Therefore, I believe, what does Jesus say is the most important commandment? Love of God is shown through love of neighbor. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it all comes down to, right? We like to put in anything else up here, don't we? Maybe because it's better for us, it's easier for us. Uh, it puts us in a higher position. It lets us look down on others. So we want to say, I'm a Republican, I'm a conservative, I'm a Democrat, progressive, I'm a accountant, I am a uh, strong male, I'm a, right, that leads to toxic masculinity again, or uh, who knows what it might be. But we think that is our primary identity and it determines everything else. When Jesus, when Peter confesses, you are the son of the living God, when we confess Jesus is the son of the living God, we are saying our worldview, how we think things should work, is all rooted in love of God, which is shown through love of neighbor. That always has to be what we are asking ourselves when we are trying to determine what is the best or the right thing for us. We can never say, well, I am a conservative. I believe these things. And so it doesn't matter whether it follows this or not. That's just what I believe. We cannot say I am a progressive. Therefore, here are the tenets of belief that I have, whether or not it follows in line with this. I am a child of God. I am a follower of Jesus. Love of God is shown through love of neighbor. Period. Now, we might have disagreements on how those things might look out, those policies, those rules, whatever it might be. But we ought to be able to find common ground, and this is what we are trying to do as Christians. And hold policies up, or hold thoughts up, or hold ideas up to this. To this. Not to anything else. Can you see how the Roman people of the day might be greatly offended by that? We don't care. We don't worry. Caesar isn't the primary thing in which we set our standards by. We set it by being a follower of Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you feel how you might be offended, how I might be offended, how certain people might be offended by this too if we say, if we have to replace what we think gives us our worldview whether it's our politics, whether it's our nationality, whether it's our skin color, whether it is, you name it. You might really like it because, oh my gosh, it makes sense to me and I have found comfort within that. Therefore, that's what I'm going to advocate for and you just need to, as we look at somebody else, understand my point of view because this is what has worked for me, therefore it's what needs to work for you. Jesus comes and challenges our innermost thoughts, thinkings, identity, however you want to phrase it, and should make us rethink it all. When we confess, who do you say that I am? Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's where our worldview comes from. That's how we love God, is through the way we love our neighbor. 
It might make us angry at times because we might come up with different answers than what we once held so tightly onto, the ones that maybe were passed down to us by people who we have loved so close. It's gonna make us challenge thoughts that we made big important decisions on, and now if we really rethink some of these things, maybe we have to rethink these past decisions, and maybe, oh, I wish I would have done something else. But we don't like to go back and rethink and think, I wish I would have done something else. We want to justify our prior behavior by continually um, rewriting things so we don't have to feel guilty about something in the past. Here's what's great about Jesus. Yes, you might have done something wrong. We might have done something wrong and we have guilt about it. But here's the freedom that comes from it. Christ forgives us. Hence, we're able to say, oh my gosh, I think differently now because it's okay to acknowledge where we were wrong and to move into a new way of living because forgiveness is real. God's love is real. We are asked to live into it and to offer it to others. May you understand you are forgiven for all those times in which you have put something else besides child of God or follower of Jesus in the sentence of, I am a, therefore I. You are forgiven for all those ways in which we have done more harm than good, even when we thought we were doing good. You are forgiven. Amen.